glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. While you're turning, go ahead and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we're doing. Um, as you said, we are the Helms family. Uh, my name's Elijah. That's my wife Natalie back there with Evie and Gideon. And then Samuel and Josie just went downstairs. And uh, we are headed to Alaska, headed back to Alaska. Um, I was saved at a young age, raised in a good Christian home, and thank the Lord for that. And I don't, I don't deserve that. I'm thankful for that. And I'm um, saved at 11 years old. I started to preach at 13 years old. And the Lord first started dealing with me at youth camp, at Brother Andy Wells' youth camp. And I didn't surrender there, try to run away from it. And I didn't want to be a preacher. And the uh, Lord had other plans. And uh, so eventually I surrendered to that a few months later. The very next year at youth camp, before I went, I said, Lord, I, whatever you want me to do, Lord, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. Because I don't ever want to be that miserable again like I was last time when I tried to run away. And he called me to the mission field. And um, I didn't know where I was supposed to be going. Didn't know what I was supposed to do, but I knew I was supposed to be a missionary. So I surrendered to that at a very young age. And that's Scary thing for me, scary thing for my mom especially. Didn't know where we were going or anything. But through the years, the Lord started burning my heart about Alaska. And uh, I saw the need in Alaska. I saw the lack of missionaries going to Alaska. There's a few good ones there. And y'all support Brother, Brother Israel Warren, and you mentioned Brother Josh Roach as well. There are some good men there, but there's a lot more need. And it's got the same problem here in Idaho as well. The, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And you, you know that. So the Lord started burning my heart about Alaska. And uh, we were able to take a survey trip up there for about a month in 2018. And got to travel all over the state and see all kinds of different places. And Lord burned my heart for those remote regions in Alaska. On the road system, there's churches all over the place and some good churches there. I need more. There's some good churches on the road system. Once you get off the roads and those remote towns and villages, a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church is very hard to find. And Lord burned my heart for that. So we came back and we began the process to start deputation and get up there. And we were about 15% support in the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And I found out about a church there on Prince of Wales Island in Craig, Alaska. And a missionary had started to work there, and he had passed away. And they had been without a pastor for three years. And the Lord burned my heart for those people. And so we went to visit them and spent a little bit of time there and preached for them. And they, they invited us to come back and take the church there and lead the church and be the pastor. And so that's what we did. We had 15% support, and we, the church was able to pay us a little bit, and the parsonage and things, and I worked as well. And so we came back to North Carolina, sold everything we had, and Took a little, a little bit. We didn't sell and <laughs> drug it behind us up there to Alaska. And we're there for a couple of years. And the Lord allowed us to be there. The Lord allowed us to work there and minister there and learn a lot of things. He taught us how to live in Alaska and taught us how to be in the ministry in Alaska. And it's a different animal. It's not a different country, but it might as well be. And the um, Lord allowed us to be there and learn those things. And uh, taught me things in ministry that I didn't know I needed to know. And now I do. Pastor, you understand that too. If you're a pastor, you understand that. And the um, Lord allowed us to learn a lot. And Lord, Lord allowed us to learn how to stand on things. And us, there's some doctrinal issues in the church. Lord allowed us to be there and take a stand and um, work those things out. And allowed the church to go on. And I'm thankful for the time we had there. And about eight months ago, maybe nine months ago now, the uh, Lord started burning my heart, uh, reminding me what I surrendered to, and that was church planning in remote Alaska. And it took me over to Acts chapter 13, verse number 2. It says, separating me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work wherein to have called them. And the Lord reminded me what he called me to do, what I surrendered to do. And so I didn't know. I, I just started praying. I didn't know if I was supposed to be there and Craig and reach out from that church to plant another church. I didn't know what the Lord's plan was. Um, but the burden began to grow even more and more than I ever had before. And so I just kept on praying. And I finally surrendered to the Lord, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> Lord, if you want me to leave, go, go to Africa, Lord, I'll go. Go back north, kind of clean the toilet. I don't care. Just tell me what to do. 
And it began to re- reveal in my heart that he would have us to go to Cordova, Alaska and plant a church. And um, I can't, I'm not Pentecostal. I can't, he didn't talk to me audibly. I can't explain all those things to you, but the Lord began to reveal that in my heart. And I couldn't get away from it. I tried to ignore it. And I'm pretty hard-headed, and I don't like to listen. <laughs> and I, so I tried to ignore it, and I couldn't get away from it. I kept coming back around everywhere I looked. There's Cordova over and over and over again. And eventually I told my wife about it and what was on my heart. We began to pray, and um, I couldn't get away from it. The burden kept growing. So I was able to take a survey trip up there to Cordova. It's been about a week there. And um, there's, Cordova is a small, if you know anything about it, you may not, probably don't. It's a small fishing town on the east side of Prince William Sound in Alaska. Uh, 2,900, around 2,900 people, depending on the season, and no solid Bible preaching, gospel preaching church. And um, Lord broke my heart for those people. And they began to study. There used to be a missionary there uh, for a little while. He is now, he took a, his, his home church, took the pastor there in South Carolina. So now there's no preaching church there, no gospel preaching church there. So I took a survey trip there, got to meet with a man that used to be in that church when the missionary was there. And he told me, he said, uh, he said I don't know what Lord, all the Lord has for you to do. I don't know if it's supposed to be here or not. But I sure, me personally, I sure would like you to come to Cordova and plant a church that I can go to. He said, I don't have anywhere to go. And um, the Lord continued to solidify that in our hearts. And the very last day before we left to get on the plane to go back to Craig, um, I'd been eyeballing this bookstore and trying to go in there. It's always closed. And right before we went to go on the plane, the bookstore, the open sign came on. So I went across the street, went in and started talking to the owner there. And she basically said, who are you and what are you doing here in this small town? So I told her what was on her heart. And um, so she said, you, you be coming here and planting a church. And you, you know, I'm no building or anything, nothing like that. Said, yes, ma'am, that's right. And she began to tell me how she was planning on selling the bookstore. And selling out the bookstore and then renting out the building. She said, you know, this would be a perfect place for a church. And uh, it would. It's right there on Main Street in town. And um, she, she invited me to come rent the building to pl- have a church there. And it told me about the upstairs, how there's an apartment upstairs we could live in for the time being. And began to open those doors. And I've got her number. She's got mine. She told me I had first dibs on the place. And I believe the Lord's going to work that out. Said so about a year and a half or so, she's going to be leaving town and get ready to head up there a year and a half when I was there for about a year now. And getting out of town, written the place out. And I believe the Lord's going to work it out for us to be there at the exact same time. And I believe the Lord's already, he already has opened doors for us. I talked to the missionary that was there in Cordova. And um, he told me that the pews and the pulpit and everything that he had before, he left it there in Cordova. It's in storage. And so everything's there. and got the building and the pulpit and the pews and just need a preacher. And the Lord told me I need to go. And um, so that's what we're doing. So we went back to the began to pray, Lord, if you want me to go to Cordova, and obviously you want me to go to Cordova, would you send a preacher here to Craig? And I didn't want to leave that church without a pastor. And um, that very same week, I got a call on the phone from a preacher. And I met him a couple of times. And um, he's an older man, been in the ministry for quite some time. And has some family there on the island. And he said, Preacher, I know we don't know each other that well. I just want to let you know I'm moving to the island. And I don't know what all the Lord has for us there, but I know that's where he wants us to be. And I didn't tell him anything. I waited till he got there and then told him what was on my heart. And I didn't want to scare him away. And so he got there. And I began to reveal him what the Lord put on my heart. And um. Talked about doctrine, all those types of things, and make sure he was right, and he was. And um, I told him what was on my heart. He began to pray about it, and I began to pray about him. And we both agreed that's what the Lord had for us for the church. So we brought it for the church, and they voted for him to be the pastor on June 20th. And he's now the pastor of New Hope Baptist Church there in Craig. And they're still going. And um, so we're here on deputation. Like I said, we were about 15% support before. And the leadership of my pastor and different missionaries, we're back here finishing up our support. So we can get there to Cordova and be busy about the Lord's work. And hearts to go there and plant a church, and if the Lord allows, raise a man up, train a man to take that pastor and move on and do the same thing again. 
That's my heart, and that's a long ways down the road. I understand that. The Lord's got a lot of things. The Lord's, Lord's, Lord's got a plan, and we're just trying to be faithful. And he's already revealed to us part of it, and this is his plan for us right now. So we're raising our support to get back up there as soon as we can. And I appreciate you allowing us to come in tonight. I appreciate you, Pastor, allowing me to come in, not knowing me from Adam. And I don't think it's lightly. Let me stand in your pulpit and thank you for that. And I appreciate that. And I've heard a lot of good things about your pastor from everybody. And um, it kind of makes me nervous here tonight. And um, I don't feel worthy of staying here. So I appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate the music tonight. I was watching musicians. Y'all make me jealous because I can't play as good as you can. I was watching the guitar player, and I play guitar. And I was watching, I was like, and he's always playing left-handed. And I was looking, like, well, his strings are upside down. So he's playing a right-hand guitar left-handed. And I, I can barely play a right-handed guitar right-handed. So I appreciate the music tonight. Exodus chapter number 4. Exodus chapter number 4. I'm just reading there in verse number 1. Just read a couple verses to you, and we'll be back and forth um, through the few chapters here throughout the message. Exodus chapter number 4, verse number 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is, this, what is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Pastor, would you open up in prayer tonight? This message on my heart, and I haven't been able to get away from it. I've preached this one time before, a long time ago there in Alaska. And so I hope this is, uh, Lord gave it to me fresh again, so I hope I can bring it across to you the way he's given it to me. But maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I've, oftentimes I feel inadequate for what the Lord has called us to do. I know in and of myself there's nothing I can do on the mission field that's going to accomplish anything in and of myself. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough to accomplish anything on my own. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing, the Scripture tells us. And I'm, like I said, I'm just a nobody. Before I surrender to preach, I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be a deacon, do those things. Just I don't want to be a preacher. And so the Lord called me to preach. And I, I'm, I, don't, I feel inadequate, and I am. And when I get done preaching, you'll probably say, you are inadequate. You shouldn't do that. You can decide that later. Just give me a chance. Anyway, so I, I used to look up and admire preachers and missionaries. I still do missionaries. And I used to say, well, that, that's wonderful. And those are special people. There's no way I could do something like that. And the Lord called us to the mission field. And um, I used to think it was for someone special, not somebody like me. And then the Lord began to tell me, reveal to me, there's no, nothing in and of myself anyway is going to accomplish anything. That's all about him. And the only thing that's going to accomplish anything is somebody's willing to be faithful, willing just to serve him. Willing to use, he's willing to use a nobody. The verses I just read to you, Moses there in the wilderness I always love reading that passage. It's, it's funny. It's amusing to me. I don't know why. It just is. The Lord said, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, a rod. Lord, it's a stick. There's <laughs> not much here. I don't have much to offer you. I'm going to ask you the same question here. That's the title of the message here. What's that in your hand? What's in your hand? What, what is it you're holding on to? That, or they're holding on to you that you won't give up? Or maybe it's something you have. You might, the Lord might be able to use it. Maybe, you, maybe you've made the excuse, well, I don't have the ability of so-and-so. I, I'm inadequate. Or I can't talk like so-and-so does. Moses made that same excuse. didn't work for him either. Or I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so is. Or I don't have the money that they have. I'm going to ask you this evening, and you're going to hear it over and over again, what's that in your hand? Something I've learned, whatever's in my hand is much more valuable in his hands. A basketball in my hand, I'm not really shaped to play basketball. A basketball is barely worth what the money you paid for. It's not worth much. But you put it in somebody else's hand, it's worth 
But somebody, Michael Jordan, somebody has hands, it's worth millions to this world. It's worth little in my hand. The rifle in my hand is worth very little. I can provide some food and have a lot of fun, but in the hands of a heavily trained soldier, it can protect the country. A slingshot in my hand is not worth very much. You put it in the hands of King David, the Lord used to slay a giant. You get the point. My life in my hands is not worth very much. Maybe I, I can turn riches and make a little bit of money. Maybe try to carve out a living. Still not worth much in this world's eyes. Worth very little. But you put your life in God's hands. And there's no telling what He might do with it. Moses says, rod in His hands worth very little. And Moses said, I just, it's just a rod. And God's going to take it and do a lot with it. We're going to look at that here this, this evening. Verse number 2, again, we already read it. And the Lord said to him, what is that in that hand? And he said, a rod. God here is meeting with Moses. And I know you know the passage. This is reviews for you here. But what's going on in this verse? To understand what's going on here. We need to back up one chapter. Chapter 3, verse number 1. And if you've read it before, then just a review for you. But we read it tonight. Verse number 1, Exodus 3, verse number 1. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned out aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And you can go and read that passage. There's a lot more there you can read about. But God is talking to Moses through this burning bush, a bush that is on fire but not burning up. And in the beginning of chapter 3, God appears, to, appears in this bush to Moses, gets Moses' attention. And God begins to tell Moses the plan that he has for Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And we already know that. In verse number 4, at the end of verse number 4, what does Moses say? He says, here am I. God calls him out of the midst of the bush. He says, here am I, Lord. Like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Moses says, here am I. God has appeared to the bush, appeared by the bush to Moses in the middle of the desert. The bush cries out, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here am I. For the next few verses, down to verse number 10, God begins to reveal his plans for Moses. Notice verse number 11. Exodus 3, verse number 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse number 4, it was, Here am I. Now verse number 11 is, Who am I? For the rest of the chapter, Moses goes back and forth with God, who, by the way, is still talking through the bush, and is telling God why he can't do it, and God's telling him how he's going to do it. He's the Lord, I can't do that. And God said, this is how you're going to do it. So if you get the picture, Moses is standing with his sheep in the backside of the desert, arguing with a bush that's on fire. You never know where the work of God may put you. You've been in some pretty comical situations myself there in Alaska. Notice Moses' attitude change. First he said, here am I. And then now he's saying, who am I? Lord, Lord, are you sure about this thing? Who am I? I can't do anything like that. You've got the wrong guy. Lord, I can't do it. Lord, are you sure about this? You sure you have the right person here? Have you any, any of you ever thought that before? Lord, I, Lord, I can't do that. Lord, all I have is this rod. I just have a, I don't have much. Just, Lord, here's my basket. That's all I got. I don't have much for you. I can't do that. Moses said, Lord, I can't do it. Lord, who am I? I can't go there. Lord, I can't teach that class. Lord, I can't pastor that church. Lord, I don't have the ability. I'm going to take a closer look here at this rod for just a few minutes tonight. And I'm not going to take long and I'll let you go. But I'm going to look at this, this rod of Moses here tonight. Aaron has a rod as well. I'm going to look at that a couple of times. I'll try to focus on this rod of Moses. Number one, you see the commonality of it. Where did Moses get his rod from? What kind of rod was it? Well, the first mention of this, uh, of this rod is in verse, the verse to start off with earlier, chapter 4, verse number 2. The first mention we have of this type of rod. 
We know what we, from what we read a minute ago, God has appeared to Moses while he's in the flock, while he's with his flock of his father on the backside of the desert. So what is Moses doing? He's shepherding. I know this is kind of simple here tonight. So what kind of rod would Moses likely be carrying while he's shepherding sheep? It would be a shepherd's rod, a staff. You can learn a little bit about those, that rod over in Psalms 23 if you like. That rod and the staff, they comfort me. But to just put it simple, this rod, it's nothing special. It is a stick used to help a shepherding of sheep. Probably had a blunt end for hitting things. It's just things I've read about, a sharp end for poking things, perhaps. If it's the same rod mentioned in Psalms 23. So what's, what's so special about this rod that God would point it out and ask Moses, what's that in your hand? What caught God's attention with this rod? What was so special about Moses' rod in his hand? Absolutely nothing. It's common. It's common rod of a shepherd. Every shepherd would have one. Everyone around probably had the same, every other shepherd probably had the same thing. It wasn't anything special. Moses wasn't chosen by God because of this special rod he had in his hand. Moses didn't possess anything different than anybody else had. God didn't look down from heaven looking for someone carrying the specific rod. said, okay, Moses has got one of those. I can use him. That's not what happened here. This was a common rod, just a, just a shepherd's staff, just a stick. Which is probably why Moses seemed so confused when God asked him, what, what's in your hand? He says, this thing is a rod. What's the big deal, Lord? It's just, it's just a rod. To let you in a little secret here, you, you know what the people that God uses in the church for great, the people God uses for great things, you know what they have that's different than anybody else has? Absolutely nothing. You know what's so special about the ones that God chose, chooses to use to pass the church to do different things? Absolutely nothing. Well, then why do they get used to God? Because they're available and willing to be to say, here am I. Just willing to be used. You know why your pastor was called to preach? Because he was willing to be used. And God saw his willingness and he, he chose to use him in the ministry. I get to go to Alaska. I don't understand why God would allow me to go to Alaska. I, th- I count that a privilege, the beautiful place to go. But the Lord chose me just because I said, Lord, I'll, if you want me to go, I'll go. And not because I'm anything special. And God is in his omniscience. He's all-knowing. He chose to, I'll be best be used in Alaska. I preached on the lad's lunch over there in Luke, and I'm sure you've heard that preached on many times as well, how, how he wasn't, the lad wasn't anything special. just came prepared for God to use him, and God used him. What was so special about his lunch? Maybe his fish was smoked better than other people's fish. I don't know. Probably not. Nothing special. If you're trying to come up with something special that God can use, you're not going to find it. You know, and go ahead and burst your bubble. You're not, you will never impress God. You know, it's not going to happen. God is the creator of everything. You think you can impress the one who created everything that you've ever seen. It's not going to happen. God used a rod that was common. Everybody had one. It was not Moses' ability. It was not his heritage. not anything in and of Moses himself that made him beneficial for God to use. He was just available. God raised him up and put him in a bunch of different situations. They let him learn a lot of things for the ministry later on. He raised in Pharaoh's home. You can study about all his life and what God did with his life. But in and of Moses, it was nothing. It was what God did with his life. Much like Jonah didn't want to be used to God. didn't want to go to Nineveh. God just chose somebody who's willing to go. We see the commonality of the rod. It's just a shepherd's rod. In commonality, we see the claiming of it. Who claimed it? Verse number 17. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 17. One chapter over, sorry. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, Let me go, I pray thee, and return to my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. The Lord said to Moses, And meeting, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. He returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. 
You know, it's the claiming of, I skipped over a few verses there in Acts chapter 4. You can go back and read those later if you like. God told Moses to take the rod and lay it on the ground. He did and became a serpent. He told him to pick it up by the tail. He did and he became a rod again. So he told him to stick his hand in his cloak and it became leprous. You know the story there. What is God doing? God is proving to Moses what was, what was just a rod in Moses' hand can be whatever God wants it to be when it's in God's hands. I'm thankful for those times when God has proved to me my life is a lot better off in His hands than it is in my hands. God tells Moses in verse number 17, you take this rod and with it you will do signs. God has plans for Moses in using this rod. God's going to use this rod over and over again in Moses' ministry. See it throughout his entire life. Look at verse number 20. We just read a few minutes ago, a couple minutes ago. Look at verse number 20. And you probably already saw where I'm going here. It says that Moses took the rod of God in his hand. God said, thou shalt take this rod. Moses took the rod of God, verse number 20 says. Back in verse number 2, that was Moses' shepherd's rod. God said, what was, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. Down in verse number 20 of chapter number 4, it's the rod of God. What changed? Who's in control of it? God told Moses, you lay it down. And God took control of it. Changed to a serpent. He told Moses to pick it back up. Changed it back to a rod again. What happened? The control of it changed. Who's claiming the rod? You want, to be, you, want to, you, want to, you want your simple, common life to become great and do great things for God. You need to change who is in control of it. You young people, you, do you want to grow up just to be mediocre? You're going to do, do great things for the Lord. You know the secret is who's in control of your life. We're making decisions and choices. Who makes those choices? Do you seek God's guidance for those choices in your life? Or you just jump, from, jump to conclusions. Who's in control? Who's claiming the rod? Who's in control of it? Moses doesn't have Moses' rod anymore. It's in the hands of God now. What do you have that you're holding on to? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a burden. Let him handle it. Maybe it's a choice about your future. Let hand it over him. Give him control of it. Maybe it's family or health or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Hand it over to him. In God's hands, the rod is going to be used for a whole lot more valuable things than poking sheep when they're not listening. That rod has changed from a simple stick in the hand of a shepherd to a miracle-working tool in God's control. What's that in your hand? It's not much. Just a stick. Give it to God. Lord, I don't have much. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's what Moses said to you. We see the, the claiming. We see the commotion caused by it. Chapter 7, verse number 10. Go ahead and go there, turn to Exodus chapter 7. A couple chapters over. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 7, verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called the wise men the sorcerers, now the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod and became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh, and they cast down the rod like God told them. Aaron cast down his rod. This time it becomes a serpent. God did that before with Moses' rod. Now Aaron's rod doing the same thing. The sorcerers we see there do it as well. And Aaron's rod ate theirs. You say, well, how do they, how do, they do that? Well, Satan has power on this earth as well. Powerful as well. God's still in control. God's rod, God's snakes can still eat Satan's snakes. Thankful for that. Verse number 20. Exodus chapter 7, verse number 20. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And lift up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants. And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. And the fishes in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. See the plagues beginning here in Egypt. This same rod, now Moses' rod, now has been used to turn the water to blood throughout all of Egypt. Chapter 8, Exodus chapter 8, verse number 5. 
She'd maybe on the same page there. Verse number 5, Then the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand over the, with the rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come upon the land of Egypt. Verse number 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land. It may become the life throughout all the land of Egypt. Over and over again, we see Aaron here using his rod. It's not mentioned in all ten plagues, but the majority specifically mentions Aaron holding up his rod. God using the rod. You say, well, you might wonder, well, why was Aaron holding up his rod and not Moses holding up his rod? Well, you can study out the rods there. Moses is a rod of power. Aaron's a rod of priestly position there. But also because Moses' unbelief and unwillingness to follow God, when God told him to do something, he said, you send somebody else instead. I can't speak. Just let Aaron speak. And God did, and God let Aaron be used as well. We see he took a priestly position there. Moses had allowed Aaron to use the rod, use his, Aaron's rod. There's another message in there for another time. We see his, his handicap because of his lack of faith. I preached another message titled, Lord, here am I, send Aaron. And that's what Moses did. He was, he was all gung-go, ready to go in chapter 3 of Exodus. Chapter 4 comes, he's begging God to send somebody else. He messed out on a lot because of his lack of faith. We can see that there in the, what's going on there. So we see Aaron holding the rod a lot of the time. So they keep going through these plagues over and over again. This rod is being used for God's will. God is punishing Pharaoh to prove himself. He's doing it through the use of a simple, common shepherd's rod. We see the commotion caused by a simple little shepherd's rod has been placed in the hands of an almighty God. In the hands of Moses alone, or an Aaron alone, it, only, it was only good for shepherding sheep. But in the hands of God, it has caused torment to the entire nation of Egypt, probably the most powerful nation in the world at that point in time in history. In the hands of God, it has caused a lot of trouble. What could God do with me and you if we put, him, put ourselves in His hands? What's that in your hand? You say, Lord, I sure don't have much to offer you. Can I promise you, can I tell you tonight, I promise you I don't have much to offer God. I'm nothing. I'm nobody from nowhere in North Carolina just a redneck from North Carolina. I don't, I, I don't have nothing to offer Him. I'm nothing. But I just got this rod. The Lord can use whatever He wants to use. If you just surrender your life to Him, you'd be amazed at what God can, what God can do with just a little bit of faith. How God can change, the, change your life just a little bit of faith. See the, the commotion caused by the rod. We see the commission of the rod. Verse number, Exodus chapter 14, verse number 14. A few chapters over, Exodus 14. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord shall fight for you, you shall hold your peace. The Lord said to Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The same thing that God has used to cause commotion in the camp of Egypt and the camp of the enemy, God used to save His own people from the enemy. Don't underestimate what God can do with a simple little rod. Moses had to hold up the rod. The sea divided, split the Red Sea in two. Water crossed on dry ground. We learned that story in Sunday school. We know that. A few verses down, we read about Egypt's army coming after Israel. They tried to cross the Red Sea. Moses stretched out his hand again. And the seas came back and forth and destroyed the nation, the, the army of Egypt there in the middle of the sea. God kept his promise by using, the, using a rod. God's not done with it yet. Exodus chapter 17. A couple more chapters over. Exodus chapter 17, verse number 5. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So God has used this rod to slay the enemy. We see that in chapter number 14. He has used this rod to keep safe his people, and destroy the army there. Now he's used this rod to supply the needs of his people. 
through a simple shepherd. Chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses and Joshua choose us out, men, and go fight, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass that Moses held up his hand, and Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat there on Aaron and Hur, stayed up his hands, one on the one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua just come to Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. What happened? The enemy has come. Moses is now an old man, and Joshua there is leading the, the army of Israel. He tells Joshua, you go fight, and I'll go to the top of this hill, up above the battle between you and God, and I'm going to take this old rod with me. And Aaron and Hur go with him. God's used this rod before. God's used Moses before. He's used this rod before over and over and over again. Maybe, just maybe, God can do it again. He's done before. Maybe he can do it this time. Moses goes up to the top of the hill. The man following up, the two men following up there. And he holds his hands up to the Lord. I believe he's holding the rod up to the Lord. I don't know what all was going through with Moses' mind at that time, but I imagine he's looking back over the years that that rod has been used in the control of God when God's in control of it. He can probably look back at what God has used in the, used it there before that bush. And he can look at what God has done since that bush. Now God has used it time and time and time and used his life, used that rod. There's nothing in his hands but a whole lot in God's hands. He remembers what God's done with it. He probably remember when God used the cause of the commotion back in Egypt. He probably remember when God used to slay the enemy. He probably remember how he used it to supply the water and how he's used it over and over and over again. And he's holding back to God, holding back up to God saying, Lord, do it again. And what happens? As long as his hands are held up, they are winning. When his hands go down, they start to lose. We know that story as well. As long as we're holding our life up to God and saying, Lord, I know what you've done in the past. I know you can do it again. As long as you're giving our life to Him, He can continue to give us the victory. I'm not always, it's not always easy living for the Lord. Sometimes there are going to be battles. There's more battles in Canaan than there are outside of Canaan in the wilderness. We've not seen, we've seen a few of them ourselves in life, not many, not as many as most people. It's not always fun in games and rainbows and unicorns when you're living for the Lord. Sometimes there's battles. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes all we can do is just to keep our hands or the rod pointing up to heaven. But I can promise you, if you're living for the Lord, if your life, if your life is in His hands, that rod, so to speak, if your life is in His hands, He's in control of it. I can promise you, you can rest easy at night knowing that God's in control. You can have peace that passes all understanding because God's in control of the rod. I'll look at one more time here, one we skipped over a little bit earlier, and look at one more time Moses had this rod in his hands. Number five, we see the character of the rod. Go ahead and turn to Numbers. Numbers chapter number 20. Numbers chapter number 20, verse number 2. Verse number 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation in the desert of Zin. In the first month, the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Who would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? You know the story here. The people are thirsty again, yet again. They're complaining again to Moses and Aaron. We're there at Post Falls Baptist this morning. And the preacher preached on crybaby Christians. He can preach on the crybaby Israelites here as well. Blaming Moses for what's going on. And Moses is sick and tired of it. He's tired of the bickering. He's tired of those, these hard-headed Israelites that just don't want to listen. They, they are blaming him, that the fact that they're thirsty. He says, are you trying to kill it? You brought us out here just so we can die? He gets, he, he gets part of it right. Him and Aaron both fall down before the Lord, it says. Verse number 6. 
And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So they go to God. It's always a, a good idea. When you're faced with a trial you don't have the answer for, you go to God. And they start out right there. Pretty good practice. Now verse number 7, Numbers 20, verse number 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from the before the Lord as he commanded him. God tells Moses to take the rod. God's always using this rod. Told him to take it, take it with him. And then we notice what God tells him to do. He says, just speak unto the rock before their eyes, and the water will come forth. So in the past, God has commanded Moses, what we just read a few minutes ago, God has commanded Moses to smite the rock with the rod, and the water came out. God used the rod there to bring water. God here tells Moses simply to speak to the rock, but take the rod with him. Verse number 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. What happens? Moses loses his temper. He's angry with, his, with these people, his people. He even called them rebels here in this passage. He's very angry with them. And us, we, I probably would be as well. I'd probably hit them in the head, not the rock with the rod. And for a small moment in time, he took the rod of God into his own hands again and used it the way he thought best. God used this rod over and over and over again in the work of Moses and Aaron to bring his people out of Egypt, to provide for his people, to take care of his people, give them water over and over. He's used this rod to provide and Protect his people. The rod that Moses had that became the rod of God. Moses said, here, Lord, I can do a better job this time. And he takes it back, and that one mistake cost him walking into Canaan land. God is a gracious God. He's going to let him see Canaan land from the top of the mountain right before he dies. But he has lost his chances at living in Canaan land because he took back what he had already given to God. I've heard of and seen many preachers that were on fire for God. At one time, God was using their life and blessing them. Some of them, some of the greatest and smartest preachers I've ever met in my lifetime. And then for just a small space of time, they took their rod back. They said, Lord, let me hold that just for a minute. I, can, I, got, a better, I got a better idea this time. If you give your life to the Lord, it's not yours to take back. God does not offer any part-time positions. Are you going to live for Him or are you not? Quit riding the fence. Elijah the prophet, he said, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Just make up your mind who you're going to serve. Either you're going to live for God or you're going to live for yourself. Make up your mind. You can't give the rod to Him and take it back from Him and give it to Him and take it back. It's not how this works. It never ends well for you. Are you going to live for Him or not? Moses said, I'll take it back this time. He lost his chance at Canaan Lane. Let me ask you again, what's that in your hand? You say, preacher, it's not much. This life I have, I don't have much ability. I can't do this or that. Perfect. You're just the one God can use. Moses said he wasn't capable either. Look what God allowed him to do. Look at things that rod experienced. Don't underestimate what God can do with just a simple little stick. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been keeping the rod for yourself. Well, this is my life and do it how I live it how I want to. Maybe you're too busy shepherding sheep for it to be used of God. Why don't you hand it over to the Lord? Well, well, I'm too busy. I've got sheep to attend to. God can do much greater things than you can with those simple sheep. Maybe you gave it to God in the past. You've taken it back and you backslid and taken it back again. Why don't you give it back to Him? Quit. You can't live this life part-time. I believe we're nearing the time the Lord's going to come back. 
I believe we're getting very close. If you're going to do something for God, I believe it better be soon. We're running out of time. Have you given your rod to God so you can use it? Have you surrendered your life to Him? He said, here am I, Lord. And it's just a rod. And God can use it. There are a lot of folks there in Alaska to reach. If you're called to Alaska, you come help us. We need some help. We need some prayers. There's also a lot of folks here in Idaho to reach. Maybe God hasn't called you to Alaska. You can get busy here. Reach Bonders Ferry first and move on from there. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. What's that in your hand? Mm-hmm.